welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. And Todd asked me to pick the movie this week, and so I went with the 2007 film Wreck, R-E-C, as in the letters you see uh, on the video camera when you are recording. Um, The reason that I picked this movie is because I've wanted to see it for quite a while because... I have seen the American remake, I have seen the American remake sequel, and I have seen two of the sequels of uh, the original movie, but I have never seen the original. I uh, was just unable to get my hands on it when I was interested, um, and Todd was able to find it for us, and so we watched it uh, for this podcast, and uh, I liked it, and I'm excited to talk about it. What's your history with this movie, Todd? Have you seen it before? I have not seen it before, but like you, it's kind of been on my list, uh, especially you know since 2007. I think we were seeing a huge influx around that time of found footage films, starting from I don't know 1998 or 99 from the Blair Witch Project. You know, I was thinking about this today, Craig, that uh, you and I I think have a unique burden to bear with our choice of podcasts, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> our subject matter here. There are a lot of movie podcasts out there. Um, But we've chosen to do horror, and that just means that we have to plow through a lot of found footage films. I mean, I don't – I'm not aware of any, like, found footage romantic comedies or found footage adventure movies. It seems like they're all just kind of right here in the horror genre for us to to watch. Yeah, it's it's true. There are a lot of them. And a lot of people are just kind of turned off by the medium. You know, the whole shaky cam thing. Um, I, I understand that for some people, it, it, it causes a physical reaction. You know, they, they it gives them a headache or makes them dizzy or makes them feel uh, nauseated. Um, it doesn't bother me. It's never bothered me. The found footage thing has never bothered me. You know, I kind of feel the way I, about it that I feel about any genre uh you know it can be done well and it can be crap and in this case uh i think that it 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 worked pretty well it's believable you know the premise is you've got this young woman uh, a television personality she works um on uh like a late night show that probably airs sometime in the middle of the night it's called while you're asleep um and it's just kind of one of those special interest kind of shows where she goes around investigating really what probably are fairly mundane things. Um, And in this case, uh, what she's doing is uh, she's following around some firefighters for the night to kind of see what their life is like. And the main girl's name is Angela Vidal. And she's played by a young woman named Manuela Velasco, who apparently uh, is is really a television host and personality uh, in her native country. I assume Spain, but I could be wrong yeah. there. Spanish yeah. speaking. She and her uh, cameraman, uh, Pablo, follow around these firefighters and they start out at, at the fire station and, and they're kind of hoping... <laughs> something will happen. I mean, they, she says that on camera several times. Like, I, I just wish something would happen. Not that I really want anything bad to happen, um, but we we just want to see some action. And uh, they eventually do uh, find themselves in the middle of some action, uh, and it ends up being more than what they had bargained for. It's not necessarily the most unique premise uh, or necessarily even the most exciting premise, but it feels natural and it feels realistic you know the first 
I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of this very short movie. It's only about an hour and 17 minutes long. It feels real. It feels like something that you might stumble across uh, at five o'clock in the morning if you happen to be up at that time. For me, it works. You know, I, I, these characters, the way that they're introduced, it, it feels uh, very natural and um, realistic, uh, at least uh, from the beginning. Uh, and and I thought that it was an effective setup for this kind of movie, which ends up being. I was trying to describe this last night to uh, a friend, and 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 he was like, you know, what well, what kind of movie is it? And I said, well, I I, I guess. It's kind of a zombie movie um, or, or one of those movies like 28 Days Later where it's some sort of infection that uh, causes people to behave aggressively and, and murderously. And it fits very well into that, that genre, but it, it's, it's a little bit different too, and, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and you know, I think we've talked about this before when we talk about the found footage films, and that is, it seems to matter an awful lot, at least it does to me, the setup. Like, the setup is key. Is is it going to be a believable setup? <clears throat> you have to have a reason for this footage to exist, you know, and then therein lies the, the trouble of, of the film is how do you portray the events happening in a believable way as such that the cameraman is a character and how do you incorporate that character into the film and how do you give him or her a, an excuse a reason for continuing to film and have that camera in front of them throughout all of the atrocities and crazy things like you know you and I would have just tossed the camera behind us and run sure you know in a lot of these movies and I think that this movie as you said uh, starts out rather boring uh, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way it's, it's boring in that the premise is very believable it's this woman uh, who is is putting together this TV show and we're seeing you know her footage from it and so she's wandering around and she's talking to the firefighters and it's not uninteresting it's about as interesting mm -hmm. as this TV show would be <laughs> you know right exactly so in and of itself it's kind of neat you you she's talking to the firemen and they're saying kind of interesting stuff like you know our jobs are usually pretty boring we sit around and we it's like the we hope that the alarm doesn't go off and it's a good day when it doesn't but when it does go you know when we are called out a lot of times it's just like cliche things like like saving a pet or helping somebody yeah. you know unlock their car or just weird things like this and so like you said she's the whole time she's just she's just re repeating to Pablo my gosh i really hope something interesting happens i really hope the alarm goes off or else it's going to be a really boring tv show and it's a really good setup for a, a a film like this and then as the intensity goes on we get another reason for the the filming to happen and that is as a journalist and as these things are happening around them they want to record it they need to document what's happening even for their own personal safety Right. And later. And I mean, never before, I mean, never before really has that been truer today when we find all kinds of crazy situations in the news where we're so glad that people have cameras trained on events that just happened in front of them. And we now give a lot of leeway to people. Someone's, it seems like if somebody's in trouble, it's good if there are two people there, <laughs> one person to help them right. and one person to document it with their cell phone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And and I think that um, part of the reason that the movie feels so real, I, I don't know if it's because this 
young lady actually is a television host or if it's just her acting skills. But like, I, I don't feel like I know her, but I feel like I know who she is. You know, mm. she's this young, attractive journalist and she's hungry. You know, like I, I imagine that she she's she's been given this TV show that probably in fact, somebody even says this at some at some point, one of the firefighters asks what the name of this show is. And, and she says, it's called While You Were Asleep. And he says, oh, well, then who watches it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if, if, if it's, you know, documenting things that happen in the middle of the night and it's airing in the middle of the night, who actually watches it? And I and I think that that gives that provides a lot of motivation to her character. You know, I I can only imagine that she aspires to more than this. And so when serious stuff starts happening, and she realizes that she's in the middle of of a real story, you know, she she's determined to document it, and she's mm-hmm. determined um, to make sure that this is something that's going to potentially help her in in her career and i found that to be very believable even when things start to get really frightening you know she uh continues to insist that the cameraman keep filming and i imagine that he's probably in a similar position you know just this camera guy who uh probably does a lot of grunt work um he's doing this show in the middle of the night if this turned out to be a big deal it, it could potentially be a big boost in both of their careers. And so you do believe that they would keep filming. Now, t- when it gets towards the end, <laughs> y- you start to wonder, you know, when, when they're really, really in peril, you start to wonder, but this, the movie also does a good job of kind of making it a necessity to have yeah. the camera because eventually at some point towards the the finale of the film, the, the power starts to go out. And so the only light source that they have is the uh, light source on the camera. Uh, and so it would make sense that, that they would continue to carry it around. Um, so I, as far as found footage goes, and, and I know that that's an issue that you have with these movies. Why would they keep filming? That wasn't really a question for me in this one. I, you know, I felt like it, it, it seemed natural that they would keep filming. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, that made me super happy about it. And as a former news reporter myself, I could put myself in her situation as well. And in fact, there's even a point in the movie where they come to blows with some of the characters over the fact that he needs to keep filming. It's her insistence. There's you know some authorities that come in later and insist that the cameras be turned off. And there's a whole argument about it. No, it needs to run. So, yeah, all kinds of good reasons and ways than this, in which this movie um, builds that case and uh, makes itself feel a little more genuine and authentic that way. And I appreciated that for sure. Yeah, me too. So they're, you know, they're they're doing their thing. And at one point, they're, you know, sleeping and they're playing basketball to pass the time. And the alarm does finally go off. And it's apparently a person trapped in an apartment. So they all pile in the fire truck and they go out and the police were already there. So it's... Uh, she says, well, this seems like it might be a bigger deal than than uh, the normal. And the guy's like, oh, no, this is pretty normal. You know, police sometimes arrive. And they go in uh, to this apartment building, and there are a number of people downstairs, a number of characters we're going to meet up with later. But there's a, a woman with a young girl, uh, and she happens to be complaining that her uh, husband is supposed to be coming back. He's out right now uh, trying to get medicine for her because she has tonsillitis and she needs some antibiotics. Uh, there's a Chinese uh, couple or or family down there as well. We later learn there's kind of a textile shop behind, as it, attached to this apartment building, you know, on the ground floor, but right behind this area where we're in here. A number of different 
authority figures in there, and of course Jennifer and Pablo, and the two firemen that are basically going out there with, uh, named Alex and Manu. Manu. And and the reporter's the reporter's name is Angela. Uh, Angela. You said Jennifer. Jennifer is oh. the name of the little Jennifer's the name of the little girl. That's right. And there's another guy named Caesar. Mm-hmm. I'm an interesting character there too. And uh, yeah, so they they all arrive and they go upstairs to where this woman's apartment is. Now it's interesting because the authorities immediately like first it seems like it's just the police kind of taking charge of the situation and they're telling everybody to stay downstairs. Uh, and where you know what's this camera doing here? Why is this guy with us? Why, why are the reporters here? And the firemen are like, well, they're just they're just a local TV crew following us around. And eventually they come to this conclusion that okay, you just turn off the camera. Camera when I say you need to turn off the camera and you stay out of the way and you can come along. So they go up uh, to the this apartment that's on the second or third floor here. And, of course, you're on edge thinking, what are they going to find, right? But there's really no good reason to think that anything weird is going to happen, you know, in the context of the movie. Except for the fact that you know you're watching a horror movie. (laughs) Right. And the apartments in this apartment building are huge. (laughs) I think think they're Barcelona, but it seems like these – I mean, this apartment – building must be rather large and each apartment takes up like a whole half of the building they break it through the door and they walk along through a long narrow hallway into this apartment and the lights are off and at the end of this hallway is is an older woman like an elderly woman but she's Mm -hmm. kind of almost without any clothes on she's got like a like a negligee type thing on and some underwear and she looks to be covered in blood or at least she's Mm -hmm. just sweating profusely they go there. They're trying to calm her down. She seems a little disoriented and weird. And suddenly, uh, she just leaps at one of these guys and starts biting his throat. It's the main policeman, I think, that we had been seeing. Yeah, she she jumps on him and, and bites him. And everybody else just kind of uh, runs away and, and runs downstairs. Um, you know, one of the only issues that I had with the beginning of this premise is that the whole thing revolved around, you know, this call, this emergency call revolved around the fact that people in the apartment complex had heard a loud noise and had heard a woman screaming. And so, you know, they've got the cops there and they've got the uh, firemen there. It it seemed odd to me that there were no medical people called. You know, you would think Mm. that an ambulance would be on hand uh, as well. I guess when uh, the filmmakers were conceptualizing this, they had originally considered having um, Angela following around a group of police officers, which would have made just as much logical sense. You know, the, the police are usually first respondents, but they felt like firefighters were more sympathetic, <laughs> uh, that, that people, that people like firefighters better than cops. Uh, and you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but it was kind of weird to me that there were no, uh, medical, uh, people around. Um, but, you're right. She she attacks one of the cops. And and again, that was a, a lot of this happens when it's it's really dark. Um, yeah. And that added to the fact that the camera is moving around so quickly and, and it's 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 so shaky. Sometimes it was difficult to tell 
what exactly was happening. And so it was kind of hard to tell sometimes who was being attacked. And this was one of those those times. And ultimately, you know, that, that didn't really bother me. In fact, it, it kind of added to the suspense. You know, you don't really know exactly what's going on, um, and that's okay. But one of the cops gets bitten um, in the throat. Like, you see, it, it's really quick, but you see, like, it, he gets his throat bitten out. Um, and somehow they get him downstairs and they all, they all end up downstairs, but a couple of them stay upstairs. And when they get downstairs, you know, they're, they're talking about, okay, this, this cop, uh, you know, he's bleeding profusely, you know, we've got to get him to a hospital. We've got him to get him to an ambulance. And so immediately they try to get him outside and they find that they're locked in. Um, and there are authorities outside, um, lots of them, uh, who are, um, sealing off this building. Um, and they, they kind of communicate through loudspeaker or bullhorn or something and say, we have, you know, we have to keep you locked in. Um, it's, it's for your own safety. Uh, you know, just, just hold tight and we'll get you out of there as soon as we can. And it becomes clear very soon that they're being quarantined and that's the title of the american remake is quarantine uh, and that's exactly what it is and so they're they're stuck in there and while all of this you know it, it's chaotic you know mm. these people want out you know there's the mother who has the daughter who's sick and her husband is outside and and um she's got a cell phone and and she's on the cell phone and she says that her husband is out there and he says that there's tons of cops out there and and they're blocking off the streets and nobody knows what's going on and everybody's kind of panicking and then in the background, which nobody is facing, everybody's facing the door, but the camera is, is facing the crowd. And so we see in the background, um, the other fireman, this one actually is Alex, mm. um, not Manu, but, uh, the other fireman falls, you know, the, all of this is taking place like in, I, I want to say lobby. It's not like a big fancy lobby. It's just, you know, the, the small Entry bottom way. floor entryway with with the stairs uh you know kind of spiraling up above it and um alex the firefighter falls from one of the upper stories down to the bottom and there's just blood everywhere and you don't know what has happened you don't know why he's fallen um it's and it's shocking. really jarring yeah 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 and i read that the actors didn't know that was going to happen and so they just heard it happen behind them and so their reactions were the actors actual reactions to this this incident happening and that was something else that i just read about the movie in general um the actors were not given the full script they didn't know what was going to happen from day to day they would they would show up and they would get their shooting script for the day and so they didn't know what the fate of their characters were going to be on any given day um which uh, apparently you know added to the tension because they were kind of nervous and on edge not really knowing what to expect each day and I, I'm sure speaking as a, you know, a prestigious community theater actor. <laughs> okay. Don't sell yourself only, short here, Craig. <laughs> you know, only receiving your script and your lines, you know, a, a little bit before you're actually meant to perform them and, and not really having any idea of your character's arc or motivation that that would create anxiety, but it works here mm -hmm. because they're supposed to be on edge and they're supposed to be anxious and, and not knowing what their fate is going to be. 
Um, so uh, I, I, I actually thought that was really uh, effective. And, and that just kind of Alex, you know, the firefighter falling under the floor, he's covered in blood. Is he dead? You know, is he what's going on? Why did he fall? What's going on? There is all this weird screaming coming from upstairs. And not only is it screaming, but it sounds unnatural like uh supernatural or or demonic or something and, and nobody knows what's going on uh and and that that really is just kind of the impetus for for the chaos that ensues beyond this point and and i found it to be uh really effective you know i was in it edge of my seat might not be the right word but um i was very interested to see what was happening what was going to come next yeah me too i think at this point however in the film there's a there's just a little moment here where there's a bit of a blip that just it took me out of it momentarily as far as realism goes. There's that textile shop and there's a kind of a big door, kind of a, uh, kind of a garage door, kind of metal door that they – I think they end up opening and getting these two injured people out there. It turns out that one of the guys in the apartment complex is an intern. Uh, so he has some medical knowledge, and I think the firefighters had some medical supplies with them. They said maybe there was a first aid kit or whatnot in the textile shop. So they kind of push them out into this textile shop area, even though they can't get out the other side either because that's also blocked off. But here at some point, the camera cuts off to black for a about 10 seconds, and then it comes back on, and Angela and Pablo are by themselves going up the staircases like going up to investigate the apartment by themselves. And I just didn't get that part. Like with how do we jump from all this chaos and stuff downstairs to what did these two sneak away and decide that without anybody else, they were going to go upstairs to, you know, to the source of all this madness and investigate. Oh, come on. You know, I I thought that was a little, that was a little weird. Yeah. I think they were following the cops. I think that they were just a little bit, they were lagging a little bit behind. Really? Um, I think that the, I think so. I think that when the firefighter fell down, I think that the cops went back up. I think. Yeah, you might be right. Or maybe some of the cops were still up there. I don't remember, but. Well, but yeah, cops, when they get up there. Yeah, there are cops yeah. up there. Yeah, you're right. Well, they get up there, and they're going back through the apartment again. And the old woman – well, actually, there's some other girl who comes running out towards them uh, from the apartment. And I'm not even clear as to who that was. Do you know who that was? <laughs> I am not either. At some point, somebody else. Well, okay. So this girl runs out, and the cops shoot this girl, and then the the old lady runs out, and they they shoot her too. Um, and it's just kind of a moment where um, Angela and Pablo. It, it's almost like they have to collect themselves. Like, holy crap! Like this is happening. Like there yeah. are dead people, you know, in frame, and and they kind of take a moment to collect themselves. When they go back downstairs, one of the cops says something. There was another woman in her apartment, and somebody says, oh, well, that was probably the Colombian girl. Uh, and, oh. and later on, they, they go through the um, – well, they, they try to take – it. yeah, the roll call. They try to take inventory of where everybody lives, and they say that this Colombian girl lived in, in one of these apartments downstairs. 
I'm not exactly sure uh, who she was or who she was supposed to be. I guess ultimately it doesn't really matter, except for the fact that I do know that in the uh, sequels, a lot of stuff from the original movie is referenced. And, hmm. and I don't know if, if this is one of those things um, that is, is referenced later on. One of the things that I do know, well, so they shoot those people. And then, of course, it's all, you know, chaos. Um, but once things start to calm down a little bit, Angela, starts um interviewing all of the uh residents and i and i <laughs> this could have been a moment where things unnecessarily slowed down but i actually really enjoyed this part it was actually i, I found it to be whether it was intentional or unintentional i found it to be kind of funny you know mm-hmm. here's this girl um trying to go about you know <laughs> Okay, what do we do? Well, let's interview all the residents. <laughs> and and she's trying to do like these this hard-hitting interview with all of these people and um she interviews the the medical intern um and he's trying to tend to the wounded and we see that they're both just like mangled. You know, they've had big chunks of their faces bitten out and things. Um and one of the wounded we see his eyes just briefly and they're com- they're totally completely clouded over. Um and so you know it it's an indication to us that probably changing uh, in some way, getting zombified or whatever. But she talks to all these people and so she interviews uh the intern, she interviews uh, an old couple and it's funny cuz they're just bickering and fighting with one another. So she interviews interviews uh the asian family and we're watching it in spanish but it seems like there's a little bit of communication problems between uh, her and the asian family which provides a little bit more comedy um but then she interviews this little girl who we've seen several times her name is jennifer her mother has been saying throughout that her daughter is sick she's got tonsillitis uh, the dad has gone out to get antibiotics but she interviews Jennifer and she asks Jennifer, who do you live with? And she says, I live with my mom and my dad and my dog. And Angela says, well, where is your dog? And she says, he's at the vet. He got sick. And that immediately, you know, I I think that that would set something off for anybody. You know, we're obviously looking at some sort of infection or whatever. Um, But it particularly rang a bell for me because in one of the sequels, part three, one of the guests, and I believe it's the one who is first infected, talks about how he worked uh, in this uh, veterinary clinic um, and he had been bitten by a dog and so uh, even though i haven't seen i haven't seen part two i've only seen parts three and part four it was nice for me to see how these are all kind of uh interconnected the interviews just go on she interviews the mom who says she's gonna sue she's gonna sue and then caesar who it seems like <laughs> is maybe this like I don't know he's kind of, was he what like italian or greek or i don't know i don't know he, Kind of funny. Seemed, yeah. seemed like this kind of uh, older, possibly gay guy. <laughs> like, yeah, overly concerned kind of, with his looks, a uh, little flamboyant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> and, and he's funny because he kind of half whispers to the camera, it's those Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> they eat raw fish and they never close their door. <laughs> yeah, and he says something like, I mean, if they would do feng shui or other cool stuff, that'd be one thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's even, um, got, the, he's it, even but, got it wrong about the raw fish. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just this little interlude, but it, it's it's kind of a refreshing interlude. You know, it, it's kind of a little bit of humor injected into all this insanity. Um, but eventually we get back to the action where everybody ends up back together and the policeman who's there, who still has communication with the outside, says um, there may be an infection in the building. The health inspector is coming to take uh, blood samples from everyone. And once we find out everybody's okay, then they'll let everybody go. Uh, And that's when they take the roll call and they find out that everybody is present except for the Chinese family has a grandpa who is is sick and disabled upstairs in bed. Um, But he's the only one who's not present. And it's funny that they make a big deal out of that and it never really seems to matter. Like, does that Chinese guy ever show up? I don't think he does. <clears throat> no, I, he, it, it makes me wonder. I don't that, think so either. If that wasn't like cut out or something, like there was maybe a cut scene or yeah. something with him in it. And but there is another significant fact. And again, I feel like I I saw it all coming. Like I didn't see it coming, but I, I could tell when something significant was being said. Like I didn't see the sequels, but I could tell. Okay, the the sick dog. Of course, that's an alarm bell thing. And the other thing right. that um, one of the guys say is they're doing the roll call is that the top floor is a penthouse, but it uh, hasn't been opened uh, for years because some guy from right. Madrid rents it out and he's just left it closed and he never comes. And I thought, okay, we're going to end up at the penthouse by the end of this movie and I wasn't disappointed at all. So... <laughs> yeah, and, and from there, I mean, everything just happens really quickly. The health inspector shows up in a hazmat suit um, and of course uh, Angela and Pablo are following them around and the inspector checks out the infected and, and the first thing that he does is he handcuffs them to to their hospital beds, um, and and he injects one of them with something. But then, as soon as that happens, one of the infected rears up and uh, bites the medical intern. <laughs> And so the hazmat guy, and I think it's Manu, uh, the firefighter, they run out of that room and the health inspector closes the door and locks it. The medical guy is still in there and and Angela is saying, you know, we got to let him out. We got to let him out. And the guy says, no, he's bit and it's it's spread through saliva and we've got to keep him in there. And uh, again, you know, if we're if we're going to be critical of narrative, um, I would say that my only complaint is that the that cop and whoever else it was there were two people who had gotten bitten earlier on they were incapacitated for a good 20 30 minutes mm-hmm. before they woke up as man eating zombies um and and the health inspector says the reaction depends on the blood type and it's unpredictable and we don't have any way of predicting how quickly it will happen how quickly the change will happen yeah. but from this point forward people st- start getting bit and then 10 seconds later yeah. <laughs> they're zombies <laughs> that's so true <laughs> sometimes <it's> not even <laughs> the other question i had yeah. was how does he know so much about this infection was that ever explained was it about well, the dog the only... at the vet clinic the gut I'm... it's about the dog the uh, health guys, you know, they corner him and they're like, what is going on? And he says, you know, this dog was brought into a veterinary clinic. It 
had some disease that was undiagnosable that we'd never seen before. Um, eventually, it went into a coma. It woke up briefly afterwards, but it was um, incredibly aggressive, and it attacked all of the other animals in the shelter, and it had to be put down, but the infection spread. And we checked the dog's chip, and it led us back to this building. Angela says, wait a second, was the dog's name Max? And he says, yes, it was. And she knows that that was this little girl's dog. And so they immediately look to the mother who's holding her daughter. And the mother says, no, 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 my daughter just has tonsillitis. It's just tonsillitis. And the guy says, well, the disease is spread through saliva. And so, you know, we're thinking this, if this little girl loved this dog, I'm sure she had some dog saliva on her at some point. So the, the mother is saying, no, 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 it's just tonsillitis. And immediately Jennifer, the little girl, <laughs> bites her mom's <laughs> face off. <laughs> another, another, oh, case, it's, it's, another case of where she turned just a little too conveniently for the plot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean... It's it's kind of silly that it happens exactly in that moment, but it's exciting. And you know, yeah. she jumps down, and you know, it's it's funny to watch child actors. You know, this little girl has just been very natural and sweet throughout, and now she's supposed to be this, you know, <laughs> rabid zombie <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> she just kind of snarls at them and and then runs up the stairs, and uh, they run after her. And and from that point on, I mean, it's it's pretty much just chaos. The uh, uh, the infected people who are back in the textile place are trying to get out. They're trying to keep them locked behind that garage-style door. Um, the the health inspector handcuffs the mother to the stair rail that because she's been bitten. She, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they even try. That's the best part. Actually, that was one of the best. One of my favorite parts of the movie was when the guys are starting to get out of the textile part and they realize they need to unchain the mother. <laughs> Like, on the one hand, it's like, like, why are you even bothering? You know that she's going to turn any minute now. (laughs) Well, and they can't, and like, Angela's trying to like pull her hand out of the handcuff. (laughs) And and, and I I suppose you would, you know, that would be your humanity taking over, trying to help. But we, of course, know she's a goner. And of course, the infected do get out and eventually, you know, just kind of attack that lady. And, um, and, and from there, it, it, it basically is is just chaos. You know, the, the the remaining people who are alive are running around trying to find sanctuary somewhere um, and figure out what they're going to do. Meanwhile, these infected people are running all over the place, um, breaking down doors. And, you know, the way that I describe it, it, it sounds chaotic and almost a little silly, but I actually thought it was really scary, you yeah. know? And I, and I think that the, uh, the, the found footage aspect of it really added to that, um, to the suspense and intensity of it. You know, you, you almost feel like you're there with them. You know, yes. you feel that intensity, you feel that urgency. We, we've got to move. We've got to, we've got to do something, just run. Uh, and I, I thought it was good. I was on the edge of my seat at that point. Yeah. And the fact that we've had these sort of jump scares earlier on in the midst of chaos, too, you know, with the guy falling down and the woman attacking later on, Caesar gets it um, in, a, I thought, a pretty shocking way as well. And amidst the chaos, even though there's a lot of stuff happening and going on, you still don't know when some scary thing is going to jump out and, and grab them, which which is unusual, actually. You know, they didn't ever really stop to these moments where they're 
slowly, artificially, you know, slowly prowling again through a quiet room like they all have all the time in the world, you know, creeping right. around the corner, which you sometimes get in these kind of films. Really not until the very end when it, when it makes a lot of sense uh, do they have this, you know, going on. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you're right. It's just, it's just absolute chaos. It basically gets down to Mono, Caesar, Pablo, and Angela. <clears throat> the doctor was bitten. Uh, Caesar gets uh, grabbed by the bit doctor, but not before he suggests running and uh, getting the keys to an apartment that uh, maybe the, uh, oh the underground area so that they can escape. There's yeah. some underground something, so they go and run and have this hilarious, almost Harry Potter esque search for the keys, where they find like mm-hmm. a, in the drawer like a giant ring of like a billion keys. But but by the time they find the keys, and I think it's just uh, Angela and Pablo at this point. It's Angela, Pablo, and Manu, Manu. And the only reason that right. I say that is because Manu is kind of like this badass. <laughs> like he's taken <laughs> down, he's taken down these infected left and right, and they have several encounters with him um and and he's kind of the hero of the day ultimately there's an encounter where angela says she gets grabbed by one of the infected and and she says she's crying you just you don't even see her on screen she's off she's out of frame and she's crying and she says i got bit i got bit and pablo i think it's pablo it's either pablo or manu i don't even know if you can tell one of them says no you didn't no you didn't um, the fact that she maybe got bit uh, is not really significant in this movie, but it does pay off in the final sequel um, because as it turns out, she, for whatever reason, I don't remember if they explained it or not, has some sort of immunity to this infection. Um, and she ends up being the key to finding a cure for it. Uh, and again, it, it's completely irrelevant to this movie. And I have no idea if they had planned sequels or they were setting things up. But it was just nice for me, having seen those sequels, to see those connections. And I, and I appreciated that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Manu gets uh, attacked and and turned to, and it ends up just being uh, Angela and Pablo for the finale. And I loved that shot where Angela and Pablo pop out because they're going to grab Manu, and they look down the staircase, and Manu's head pops up, and he's like, ah! And you look down, yeah. and <laughs> the entire staircase is just full of these zombie creatures running to make their way up. But that was pretty freaky. Uh, and then, it of was. course, she's fumbling with all that. I mean, they decide they, there's no way for them to go but up, so they're trying to get into this penthouse, and she's got inexplicably, even though she has this huge handful of keys, she manages to find the right one just in time and go in. Yeah, it's like the second one she tries. <laughs> <laughs> She's got quite an immunity there, I'd have to say. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they go into this apartment and uh, the apartment is just it's kind of what you'd expect. It almost looks like the, the stereotypical serial killer apartment yeah. where it's just um, paper newspaper clippings all over the wall and what looks like lab equipment and doctor material. Um, Lots of the, religious iconography. Yeah, all kind of mixed together. And the lights, they I, either they don't try to find the white switch or the lights don't turn on or they think the power's out, but it actually isn't. Um, they're just using the light on the camera to uh to sh- to look around and this is that point like you said where the camera light became really important and i thought very effective too because we never get a very good sense of the wholeness of this apartment we're just seeing all these creepy little little bits and pieces but it turns out 
that all these newspaper clippings and everything ref- uh, are related to this girl, this girl who was supposedly possessed. And somehow the Catholic Church got involved and tried to um, exercise her. And her, I don't know if it was uncle or, or somebody that she knew, uh, who en- ends up being the owner of this apartment, who we never do see, uh, but who created and did all this stuff, uh, is going to, was trying to fix her somehow figure out what this infection was that he decided she had. <laughs> and we learned all this, more or less, by her um, pushing aside some papers and some newspapers and stuff on a bench, and, and she exposes a reel-to-reel tape player. <laughs> yeah, And I'm thinking... Very evil dead, I right? know, like, where are we? Is this 1977? Are we in a cabin in the woods? <laughs> like, <laughs> really? I'm kind of shocked that this woman even, like, knew how to press play on this thing and get it to work. <laughs> I, I grew up... I had a reel-to-reel player. I don't think I could do it anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, she plays it, and we kind of hear all the explanation, more or less, from the first person. You know, in a way, the movie reminds me a lot of playing, like, a Resident Evil video game or something like that. Where yes. You've got, you got these little bits and pieces of footage from this, this kind of stuff. It's recordings. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like a first-person um, video game. And I guess that there have actually been uh, some video games that were inspired by this with the first-person point of view and stuff. Um, but that tape, I actually I thought this was really interesting because we only hear bits and pieces of it. And uh, it, it talks about how this girl was possessed. And then he talks about about the voice on the tape talks about discovering some enzyme that he think is he thinks is going to be able to cure her and then she fast forwards a little bit and he's like uh oh bad news the uh, enzyme didn't work and i'm afraid <laughs> it's infectious now i'm not exactly sure what's going on here and i don't know that they ever even throughout the course of the 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 sequels if they ever fully explain it because it's kind of a mix of demonic possession slash uh, medical infection. Mm. What it sounded to me like on the tape, and I could be totally wrong, listeners, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you're listening at all, uh, I, I could be totally wrong on this, but this is my theory. What it sounded to me like was that this girl was infected and this guy was trying to find a cure for the infection, but instead of finding a cure for the infection, he somehow viralized mm. the possession somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and then it, it started, you know, because he was trying to treat this girl in this building, you know, the, the, whoever it was, I think it was the intern who, you know, is kind of the super for the building. He said, you know, this guy owns that apartment, but it's been closed up for, three years or something like that. Um, and as it turns out, it appears, you know, maybe it was closed up for three years, but he was up there with that girl all that time trying to work with her, trying to cure her. And when he was unable to, then somehow the infection started to spread throughout the building. And that's, that's what started all this. Um, it's interesting, you know, ultimately it's really not all that important, but I appreciate the fact that they at least try to give us some indication of why what is happening is happening. And I don't mind the fact that it's left a little mysterious, that we're not sure, that we're not given, you know, we're not given, okay, here's definitively why this is happening. We just kind of get little bits and pieces, and I I think that adds to the mystique, and I appreciate that. 
Well, and the fact, too, that the uh, older woman and the Colombian girl, whatever, who they pretty well blew away in the apartment the next time that they go up to investigate the apartment, which happened earlier, they weren't even there, um, suggests that there's something a little more supernatural than just an infection going on. You know, So that question right. gets raised a little bit earlier on in the movie, even though at this point you know, it's, it still seems to be leaning more toward a medical explanation. Um, it becomes a little muddled, and you're right. That is that is nice to leave it that way. And wow, and the sequels don't really explain it anymore, huh? They just well, I mean they they address it, and it's been a long time since I've seen them, and I've only seen them once, so I, I can't say with any certainty. But um, I, I do know just having what I've read about, you know, it's not entirely clear. There's some um, like possession demonic aspects to it but it also does spread you know biologically so mm-hmm. uh i'm not exactly sure anyway they're 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 they end up they're in this penthouse and and the zombies are outside and so they're looking around trying to find a way out and out of nowhere this trap door this attic door falls down mm-hmm. i would have reacted like angela who at this point is just freaking out (laughs) it it, it almost becomes a little annoying and uh pablo is he says well we we've got to check out the attic you know there's nowhere else to go and he's like i'll just put the camera up there and 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 swirl it around and then we can bring it down and look and see the footage and see what's up there and uh he does that and it's a very slow pan all the way around and it finally as it comes almost 360 degrees back around um it pans to somebody who's obviously infected it looks like a kid to me Mm. um but it was uh you can't really tell because it's so quick and whoever or whatever it is hits the camera and breaks the camera breaks the light on the camera so that they're in complete darkness this last five minutes of the movie um is in complete darkness and all we can see he turns the night vision on on the camera and that's all we can see Eventually, uh, they they realize that there's some infected person in the apartment, and Pablo is trying to calm Angela down and say, "Be quiet, be quiet. It's so dark. They can't see us. If they can't hear us, they can't find us." And that works for a minute, you know. Um, <laughs> but eventually, you know, as they're trying to sneak away, one of them knocks something over, and the infected person attacks. It gets Pablo, and so the camera just drops on the floor, and then uh, we see Angela in the frame uh, of the camera, and she's kind of crawling towards the camera. And this is the shot that they showed in the previews, both for this movie and for the remake, which is kind of a crap thing to show in the preview because it's Mm. the ultimate movie, the ultimate part of the movie. Um, She's crawling towards the camera. It's all in night vision, and all we see is apparently somebody grabs her and just pulls her uh, away, Uh, and then it cuts to black, and that's the end. That that ending in the black, I you know in the darkness, I I thought was was good and and scary. It was a night vision camera, but you could see so little. Like you could only see you know what was directly in front of the camera. You couldn't see anything in the periphery, um, and that was good. And I I also read that um, they filmed th- these sequences in complete darkness, so the actors had no idea what was going on around them. So a lot of their reactions were natural or at least in part natural. You know, they knew maybe what their lines were and knew what the end game was, but they didn't know what was going on around them. And 
Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was effective overall, you know, I liked this movie. I, I didn't have a lot of expectations going in. Um, I knew that I had liked some of the sequels. I haven't seen part two, so I don't know if part two does the whole found footage thing. Um, but I saw part three and part four and they do not, they, they do not do the whole found footage thing. Mm. Um, I think that there may be some parts of the movies that, uh, are, are, found footage but for the most part it's just your your average cinematography that works fine for those movies um fans of this franchise do not like part three. Oh yeah um and i loved i loved it i absolutely loved it <laughs> uh, and i think they they try to inject more humor into the third one it takes place at a wedding um and all of the wedding guests at the reception start to turn and your heroine is the bride and so she's running around fighting all of these zombies in her wedding gown and um <laughs> at, at, <laughs> at, at some point there's like a a knockoff SpongeBob SquarePants zombie. Like this sounds like a trauma film. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that I don't want to say low quality. That's not fair. Trauma does what (laughs) trauma does. But um, uh, I would say uh, bigger budget. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'm kind of a little played out on the whole found footage thing, but quite honestly, (laughs) <laughs> just like you, I really did like this movie. Uh, it was just different enough. It really held my interest. And again, I think a lot of that had to do with the context and the fact that it was all claustrophobic. You know, it all took yeah. place in this one location. It was the kind of place that's more or less familiar to all of us. So you could kind of relate to all of it. It's, it's not like they're wandering around in the sewers or, you know, they're te- tearing away through the city. It's it's apartments in an apartment building. And, uh, I, you know, some found footage films are better than others. This is definitely, um, definitely better. Uh, although, honestly, if I had seen this in the theater, I probably would have had to turn my eyes away at a couple different points. I don't always get, you know, ill from watching these. Well, I actually, when I watched the very first Blair Witch with my wife um, in the theater, I think she made it through five minutes of that movie uh, after <laughs> things got going. And then she closed her eyes. She turned her head and would peek at the screen every now and then and couldn't do it. And finally, uh, when we left, uh, she threw up in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so she even more is even more sensitive than I. But, you know, uh, since then, a lot of these movies, uh, we talked about... Um, Oh, what's the big J.J. Abrams one? Um, Cloverfield. Cloverfield did a really nice job of bringing things, stabilizing things every now and then, you know, and not making it too crazy. Although that one did also get a reputation for making people sick. This one, it's like they didn't even care. Like the camera just whips around everywhere all the time even when it could be stable it's still shaky on the small screen it works really well for me on the mm-hmm. big screen i think i would have had problems with it <laughs> yeah i can see that and and i think that maybe you could speak to this more from a technical perspective but i read that they didn't build any sets for this movie all of these everything was filmed in real locations um and i felt like that made a difference yeah. because it, it, it felt claustrophobic and it felt real. It didn't feel like we were getting point of view shots from a point of view that couldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're <laughs> like, right. like it, it seems like in a lot of these, 
if it were taking place in a narrow hallway, we might get a perspective that you really couldn't get in a narrow hallway. Mm-hmm. And, and this felt very real. I, I mean, it, it almost felt like news footage. And I think that the fact that they filmed it in real locations as opposed to sound stages made a big difference. Yeah, and aside from the fact that occasionally Pablo turns the camera around as he's running away just to catch what's chasing him, (laughs) more or less everything was pretty motivated as far as where the camera was. um, There was even that moment or two where they dropped the camera or he would deliberately set the camera down to do something. And, you know, they did that in Cloverfield really well uh, as well. This this one also, again, it never took me out of the movie. Uh, it was it was good. Yeah, I'm glad that you recommended it. I had to. I have to admit, I wasn't really looking forward to it because uh, <laughs> because it was found footage. But um, I was very pleasantly surprised, and like you, not completely on the edge of my seat, but definitely enthralled through the whole thing. Yep, yep, me too. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, talk to us about it. Uh, Leave us some comments on our Facebook page or tell us that we're big idiots who are completely wrong and have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) We we enjoy engaging with you. You can find uh, this episode and all of our many back episodes on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. You can find us on our Facebook page. If there are any movies that you would like for us to watch, and talk about please let us know otherwise until next time i'm craig and i'm todd with two guys in a chainsaw